Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, if you're new or visiting, I got a new Bible this past week. My old one, I, I, it was 11 years old, it was falling apart, so I went to Karen in the bookstore, I said, Karen, I'd like a new Bible, and she picked one out for me, it's beautiful, I'm starting to highlight it, it smells, you know that new plastic smell? Oh, it smells so good, that new plastic. It's not genuine leather, it's plastic, but you know, it's, it's new, and I encourage you to have a paper Bible, that it would be your best friend. You know, your devices are great. I get all that stuff. You can enlarge it. I get all that. That's what they have, cheaters. I encourage you to have a paper Bible. Highlight it, mark in it, write in it. Make it your best friend, guys. Make it your best friend. Well, I'd like to read a few scriptures I've been doing the last few weeks, and the key word here is afraid. So you're not going to be able to follow along. Stay in 1 Corinthians. Just sit back. The theme, afraid. Afraid. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, Today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, your servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do accordingly all, to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Then Hezekiah sent military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. 
For there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Listen to me, you who know righteousness. You people in whose heart is my law, do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, speaking of God, and God's salvation from generation to generation. And I say to you, my friends, Jesus speaking, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear God, who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Again, Jesus. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And Paul continued there a month, year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Revelation 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is John falling at the feet of Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Father, we thank you and praise you as we continue in our worship of you. We thank you for that time of worship and praise and that time of worship and of our giving our financial gifts. That's, that's worship, Lord. That's to you. It's not to man. It's to you. And Lord, we just want to continue in our worship of you by resting our minds. Maybe those anxious thoughts, maybe the worries, maybe the fears. Help us to take them captive and to lay them at your throne right now so that we might hear the good news, that we might hear the gospel, that we might come to understand how much you love us and you will take care of us. You will get us to the finish line. Father, we pray for anyone in this room right now who does not know Jesus as their Savior. Father, we pray, open their eyes to their sinful state. Open their eyes knowing that they'll never get to heaven in that sinful state, that they need a Savior to make make them clean. Open their eyes, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians, and you know, every time we start a book, it's always kind of hard. It's easy to go kind of like, uh, uh, what is that, Charlie Brown, when the teacher's talking. And so it's easy to kind of zone out. I encourage you not to zone out. I'm going to give you historical facts, and it's worth zoning out for, in a way, but yet it's not. Because anytime you read a book, you want to get the background so you understand why it's said or why the things that are said that are in that book. So again, it's going to kind of be like, okay, are we going to have a Bible study here this morning? This is hard for me because I'd rather just have a Bible study, but we need to get this information out there, okay? So it's very, very important. So I encourage you, don't check out. We are going to cover the first two verses eventually. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified, sanctified means set apart in Christ Jesus, called saints, you'll notice in your Bible, those two words, to be, they should be italicized. Um, If they're not, I encourage you maybe to get a different Bible. They should be italicized. That means they're not in the original text. So called saints, not called to be saints. You're called a saint. With all who are in every place, call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So the city of Corinth was located on a landmass known as a Peloponnesus. And if you look at a map, I think we got a picture of a map. Here's a map. And so, guys, can you take the pointer? Um, do you have a, you have a pointer, right? Can you use the mouse? And uh, and that way, if I use a, a pointer here, it's only showing up on one screen. So you'll see Corinth, okay. That's where Paul is. You'll see Athens, 
over there, okay? Then you'll see the, the little body of land. They're just a little small piece of land, and that's right there. That's what we're going to talk about. Otherwise, that would be an island, but it's not an island because it's not fully surrounded by water. There's just that little piece of land right there. So we're going to leave that up so you guys can check that out. Corinth was located on that landmass about 40 miles directly west of Athens. Uh, There is a tiny strip of land that is roughly four miles wide that connects the mainland Greece with the Peloponnesus. This tiny strip of land is what's known as an isthmus, isthmus. This gave Corinth an ideal location as a seaport because of the distance and dangers of travel below through the Mediterranean Sea, 200 miles. Ships would take a shortcut over this isthmus. They would unload their cargo at one of the ports from either the Gulf of Corinth or from the Aegean Sea. They would then take their cargo over this isthmus and unload their cargo on the other side into another ship. In some cases, smaller ships would be pulled out of the sea and loaded onto carts that would actually transport them over the land. Caesar Nero attempted to build a water canal but failed. There are still signs along the cliffs of his attempt by statutes dedicated to him. In modern times, though, through the discovery of dynamite and advancements of engineering, there was a canal built and now connects these two bodies of water. It was an ancient city with its origins going back, nine, going back hundreds of years. The Greek home, poet Homer made mention of wealthy Corinth in 850 BC. It was not a stable city, though, but one that would rise and fall over the centuries. In 46 BC, after 100 years of disarray, Julius Caesar refounded the city once more, and it eventually became a Roman colony. Very important, a Roman colony. Rome helped establish Corinth to once again become a booming metropolitan by making it the capital of Achaia. That's the island, not the island, but that's the large landmass there. Now, because of the business opportunities and population of the city, it was 500,000 people in that day. Think about that. 500,000 people having to use what? An outhouse. Yeah, let that sink in. No modern conveniences. Honey, flip on the light. (laughs) We're out of candles. No modern conveniences. 500,000 people. You see, Corinth attracted people of various trades from all over the known world. Its luxury, indulgence, and sinful pleasures were the main attraction. So as we get into the book of Corinth, you want to remember that. You see, this, this, this is what happens. The culture infects the church or the church impacts the culture. It's that simple. We either allow the culture to infect the church by ordaining homosexuals, by recognizing gay marriage. Now, God loves all these people. So as I talk about this, please be mature enough. There's no hate here. This is just reality. Are we going to allow the culture to infect infect our Christian faith as a church or individually? Well, it's okay to live together. 
It's okay to have sex outside of marriage because we love each other. No, you don't. You lust each other. Come on, grow up. Been there, done that. You're trying to fulfill a sexual desire and justify it. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, living together is a sin. It's that simple. So don't, don't allow the, the culture to infect you, but how about if we go out and impact the culture, which unfortunately the church is not doing these days, unfortunately. We're in a very, very sad state. Corinth was famous for the Isthmian Games. These games were held every other year between the big Olympic Games. They would have various competitions that carried a wonderful prize for the winner, such as remission of taxes. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go warm up. Let's do it. A financial gift from the state as well as special benefits for their children. The winners were proclaimed national heroes. Not, not rock stars are not national heroes. These people who worked. Another prominent attraction of the that day was a temple that was dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, beauty, and fertility. It is here that 1,000 female prostitutes were dedicated to this temple. Again, as we read the letter, you might think, well, nothing's as bad as America. Yeah, right, go to Amsterdam. No, go, go to your Bible. Every day they would go throughout the city, every day they would go throughout the city to solicit their bodies to raise the necessary funds to care for this beautiful temple dedicated to Aphrodite. Unfortunately, did you hear that? They would go out. So there wasn't a red light, red light district that you would go to. The prostitutes were going to you. They were coming out to show their wares to try to get you to pay them to raise money for their temple. Unfortunately, there was a saying among the men of that day that said, you might not be able to afford to go through Corinth. Which just popped into my mind. Because we have a pastor's uh, meeting every month where there's 10 Calvary pastors. Not all get together every single month. We try to, but... Um, this, this past meeting we just had, we, we discussed pornography and the issue that it is in the church, outside the church, in our society. Um, whatever you age you are, they say right now, science says right now, uh, the average age is eight years old being exposed to pornography. Eight years old. If you feel your child needs a phone, they still have things called flip phones. People might laugh at them, but it's going to help keep them safe. I would still have one if it wasn't for my wife. She wants the grandkids, see the grandkids. Okay, I'll see. But I, guys, I do not go on the internet on my phone, just so you know. I don't do emails on my phone. I don't pull up any YouTubes on my phone. I got a computer at church. I got one at home. I don't want one on my hip. You, you see fit. I know some of you have businesses and you need to have that. I get it. I understand it. But you better be careful because we're reading about 1,000 prostitutes that go throughout the city. It's only one click away for all of us, right? Females are catching up to males in the purchasing of pornography. So, so gals, don't start elbowing your husbands. Females, scientifically speaking, there's studies out there that you can check out. Females are addicted to pornography. No, that would never happen. Wake up. I've been saying this for years, but we just haven't talked about it this past week. This is a real issue. 
that we have to address, that you have to address, that we all have to guard ourselves against, right? So as we read this, you see how pertinent this is? So that's why you don't check out. A thousand prostitutes are going out. Oh, that would never happen to me. It's on your phone. They're not called prostitutes. But they're trying to, what did Jesus say? If you look upon a woman with lust, if you look upon a man with desire to have sex with them, you've already committed adultery. You've already committed it. See, Jesus went to the heart. The heart. Not just the physical aspect, the heart. There were other smaller temples dedicated to the pleasures of the flesh as well in Corinth. The city is what we would call today on the cutting edge. But it was the cutting edge of immorality. They were on such a cutting edge that if you really wanted to offend or insult someone, you would call them a Corinthian. It's like calling somebody a Californian now. Ooh, ooh, how would you dare do that? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're glad you're here. Just don't bring your politics. You know, that was a major insult to anyone, no matter what their social status was. Let's remember that it was during Paul's third missionary journey that he was inspired to write the letter to the Romans. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. He was inspired to write that letter from Corinth where he took note of all the sin that was dominant in that city. Hopefully you heard that correlation there. So Paul wrote the letter to Romans on his third missionary journey, but he wrote it from Corinth. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, and again, if you're new or visiting, we put the team put slides up there, so we encourage you, get your paper Bible, get used to flipping it, because when they turn off your phone, you're going to wish you had. Romans chapter 1, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. Now get the picture. Paul is writing this from Corinth. You've heard what I've just stated. You got, as we go in the book, you want to put yourself in the setting to pull more out of the book for you personally. Because otherwise we can go, yeah, 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 yeah. Could I get a Bible study, please? No. You're missing very vital information that could impact your heart. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. Doesn't this sound like politics today? Backbiters. Oh, it is politics. Haters of God. That's definitely politics. Violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things. That's the internet right there. Inventor of evil things disobedient to parents, young people. My dad was 100 years old when he died. He was about five years ago, I think. Mom was 95. So I'm not even going to go there. I can't figure it out real quick. But anyways, I was in my 50s. I was called to obey my parents, even in my 50s. So this applies to all of us, not just you teens or college students. This applies to all of us. If my parents didn't ask me to do anything unbiblical or sinful, I obeyed them out of respect, love, and honor. That's what the Bible says to do. But here we're going to see in the last days, there's going to be, well, not just the last days, but in that day, but it's also going to take place in the last days, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, this is really weird to me as I read this. This is just popping into my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. But you know, we have relatives right now that are in their 30s that will not get together with their parents because of the fear of this virus. 
and they have not gotten together, they have not touched them, hugged them, kissed them in almost nine months now. Is there a problem there? For me personally, there is. I only got one shot at this life. I've told my kids and grandkids, you want to kill me? Bring it on. I'm just going to heaven. But don't live in fear. And there was a lot of fear. And I understood it. I understand it. Back then, there was a lot of fear last March. A lot of fear. Once we figured it out, guys, we, we have it figured out. What's the rate right now, survival rate? 99.96? So again, I'm not taking anything away. Any of you that have lost loved ones, please, I'm not taking anything away. It hurts. I understand. But are we living in fear? Are we living in reality? Are we undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving? Well, it's the loving thing to do. You gather, you're unloving. No, I love people. I love people enough to tell them the truth that if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. I'm not going to love somebody to hell. Unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God. I personally believe what took place this past week is God's judgment on America. The whole Texas thing. I personally believe it was a judgment of God. And I don't say this lightly. You look at what this administration is doing, we deserve judgment. God's judgment. And I read one article, we were hours and possibly two days away from a majority of Texas being shut down for two months. No power, no electricity for two months. What's it going to take to get our attention? that killing babies is not right. It's not right. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Young people, they want you to approve of their lifestyle. They're trying to bombard your mind that it's okay to be transgender. It's okay to question your gender. It's not okay. Read your Bible and take a stand for Jesus. In the beginning, he created the male and female. It's perfectly clear. Go with science, not with social media. You see, it's important for us to know a little about, about this city that this letter is written to since we're going to spend some time studying the next two letters, 1 Corinthians and then we'll go into 2 Corinthians. We need to understand and appreciate what Paul and his companions had to deal with, guys. These weren't some monks writing this in some monastery. They were in the culture. And as you're going to see as we get into the letter, the church was allowing the culture to infect them very applicable to us today so that we might be confronted with in knowing that we are not alone in dealing with a perverse society. Paul spent roughly 18 months in Corinth starting in 51 AD during his second missionary journey and I'm sure that he was there ministering, teaching, exhorting and encouraging. The church had a very good foundation with Paul being present to answer their questions and establish them in the doctrines of the faith. Couldn't have really gotten any better. Yet a few months after Paul's departure, the church fell into various fleshly and carnal modes of operation. This early church had quite a few major problems. Instead of moving in the Holy Spirit, they were walking in the flesh. Do we see that in the church in America today? Instead of walking in the Spirit, we're going to walk in the flesh. So Paul is going to address these various issues in First and Second Corinthians. 
You see, it was a few years after his first visit around the mid-50s that Paul wrote this letter from Ephesus during his third missionary journey. So again, read that again. It was a few years after his first visit around the mid-50s that Paul wrote this letter from Ephesus during his third missionary journey. Now, in thinking about this church, this would have been a very interesting church to pastor. We're going to see that they had allowed themselves to become divided by picking certain pastors to follow after. We're also going to see that they were defiling themselves through fornication or having sex outside of marriage. That's what the word fornication means, sex outside of marriage. We'll study that they were defrauding one another by taking each other to court to resolve their differences. They were a church that had tremendous issues and problems, even over communion and the resurrection. This would not have been an easy church to oversee or pastor. But God in his patience sent the Holy Spirit to instruct this church about the various sinful situations, which is a tremendous blessing for you and me. Because there is a wealth of practical Christian insight in these letters to the Corinthians. We need these today. We need these today. Insights that we'd be absolutely be foolish to ignore for our learning that we might avoid the same sins. Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Do we need more seminars? Do we need more counseling sessions? Do we need all of these things? Yeah, they're, they're okay. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But are you reading your Bible every day? Are you reading your Bible on a regular basis? Am I doing it devotionally, not just for a Bible study? But am I doing it? Do I have that desire to do it? Yes. Do you have that desire to do it? That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. That's our hope, guys. As I say that, I believe that the majority of the churches under the banner of Christianity are doing Just that today, ignoring these wonderful teachings given to us by the Holy Spirit. I think it's quite safe to say that we find ourselves today living in the days of Corinth. Christians will pick and choose which pastors they like. And if they don't like what they hear, then we'll go somewhere else or nowhere at all. This virus was a great excuse for some people to leave church and never come back. It's all the excuse they needed. Christians are living together outside of marriage or defiling themselves with premarital sex. Christians defraud one another and take each other to the court instead of settling their differences through the church. Christians will argue and debate over communion, water baptism, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we'll see that as we study these letters, things really haven't changed that much. It's unfortunate because we should be learning from others' mistakes and not continuing in them. But what we see instead is that humanity has refined the process of sin and we've wrapped it in a prettier package. Beware of that package when it arrives on your doorstep. It is one package that you and I should not want to unwrap. And I was raised on a farm, so it reminds me of a story. Now, we never did this, but it reminds me of this story. You take a brown paper bag and you fill it with cow patties. You know what cow patties are? Those are those patties that cows leave behind after eating a lot. And you want to get them when they're a little moist. That's when they're better. And you put them in a brown paper bag. And then you take the brown paper bag and you put it in the front, at the front door. And then you light the brown paper bag on fire. And you ring the doorbell. And then you run like the wind. <laughs> and then when they open the door, here's a, here's a fire on their front doorstep. And what's the first thing you're going to do? 
You're going to stomp that baby out. <laughs> Woohoo! They got a footload of manure all over the place. I never, we never did it, but I'm sure it was a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> so, you know, as we start this letter to the Corinthians, let us approach it with an open mind and a receptive heart. You see, it's a very practical and applicable letter for our times. And one that can spare each and every one of us a tremendous amount of heartache and pain. So verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Thosthenes, our brother. You see, Paul was called an apostle, a messenger, one sent with orders through the will of God. And as we progress in our Christian walk, we should ask ourselves, what is my calling in the kingdom of God? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, but the manifestation, and manifestation there, that, that definition is exhibit or expression, root word is light, of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You see, every single Bible-believing Christian in this room, you have a gift, at least one spiritual gift, not playing piano, guitar, one spiritual gift, but God will allow you to use all the gifts, but you have to absolutely have one gift specifically. You have at least one. You want to ask yourself, how am I using that to build up the body of Christ? Not keeping it to yourself, not putting it in a jar and putting it on the shelf. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now again, when we get to chapter 12, we'll go over these in details, but notice this in 1 Corinthians, the gifts. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll look at each other and go, well, I want to be more like them. Oh, they do that. Oh, they do that so well. Well, I want to do that. Now, what's your gift? What's your gift? You have a gift. Are you using that gift? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Big question, are you using that gift? As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice that there. You've received a gift. Are you using it? Now, there's nothing wrong with rest. Very important. We all need physical rest as well as sometimes spiritual rest. Your house needs to be in order. If it's not, there's, nothing's going to be in order. That's in the scriptures. So sometimes you need to back away from ministry. Three months, six months, whatever it might be. But I highly encourage you, never retire from ministry. Never retire from ministry. There's always something that you can do for the body of Christ. But that doesn't mean you're always busy, 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 busy. That's not the point here, so don't even go down that road. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Notice that. You will never burn out in the ministry. It's impossible unless... You're ministering in the flesh. Then you will burn out. You cannot burn out God. That's impossible. So just make sure that if you're doing something that God's calling you to do it, and if God's calling you to do it, you're never going to burn out. You might need to lay back. You might need to take a step back and rest. But don't ever say, oh, I'm just burned out. Yeah, you might be because you were in the flesh. 
that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, we've all been, we all have a calling as believers. We all have received a gift or gifts from the Holy Spirit, as I've said. And every believer is important to the proper functioning of the body of Christ. I've been saying this for 17 years. I will continue to say it. I think in this church, we probably have 70, 30. On average, I think it's 15, 85, 20 to 80 as far as those who are serving versus those who are just consuming. You know, we have consumers and we have participators. And for this church here, we ask that you sit for six months before you ask to be a part of leadership. But if you want to pick up anything, if we have an event like the ladies' tea, uh, you can volunteer to help. The men's tea, you can volunteer to help because you're just serving the body of Christ. But as far as taking a role in leadership, we ask that you sit for six months so you can make sure you're called to this church and we can also be fruit inspectors to make sure that your motives are pure and uh, that you'll be checking your heart to make sure your motives are pure. But notice there for the proper functioning of the body of Christ. You see, this letter is going to touch on those functions later on in detail, so we'll address them then. But notice for now that it was God's will for Paul to be an apostle, a messenger of the faith, and one who is sent forth to establish Christian churches. And then we see this guy's name, Thosthenes. I might be butchering that, but that's the way I pronounce it might be the same man we find in Acts 18 that stood before the governor of the era, Galileo. Paul had, was, had arrived in Corinth on his second missionary journey. He was being used by God. He went straight to the synagogue, proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, as his normal was, and was rejected. So he went right next door and ministered to the Gentiles. The church was established and started to grow. This infuriated the religious Jews, so they took Paul before the judgment seat of Galileo. The Jews were accusing Paul of causing problems for Rome by starting a new religion. You you had to go through Rome to be recognized as a religion. Galileo did not agree and would not even hear the case. The Greeks who were gathered in the court started to beat Thosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue. Thosthenes had replaced Crispus, who was the chief ruler of the synagogue, but had received Jesus as Christ, as his Messiah, as his Savior. So he was removed from that position. So it's a good chance that Thosthenes accepted Jesus as the Christ as well. Again, we don't know for sure, but maybe this is the same man. And I'm sure that Paul was able to minister to him, seeing that they were having church right next door to the synagogue. Verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. Notice, the church of God. To those who are sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart. In Christ Jesus, called saints. We didn't do this in the second service, but we did it last week in the first service. You guys remember that? Now, for those of you who weren't here, we'll do it again today. Because I was born and raised in a religion where to be a saint, you had to be dead for several hundred years, first and foremost. Then you had to do a verifiable miracles. You had to live a vow of poverty. You had to reach the poor. And if you're a really, 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 really good person then maybe the church will recognize you as a saint. You won't find that in the word of God. You're a saint. When you receive Jesus as your savior, whatever your history was, whatever your background was, you're a new creation. You are now a saint. You are now a saint. So I'm Saint Jim. You don't have to address me as that. But I'm Saint Jim. You guys all know your name? There might be new people here, so I gotta ask them if they know their name. Because on the count of three, we're going to do saint and then your name. 
and I'll do it at the second service because I missed it last week. You guys got your name? Everybody know your name? Now say it loud. One, two, three. Saint Jim. Isn't that crazy? You're a saint. Called saints. He wrote it to people who were alive. He didn't write it to dead people. With all who are in every place, call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. That are sanctified. Sanctified. You see, as Christians, we're now citizens of heaven. Yes, we do have to do our time here on this earth. But I am now a citizen of heaven. I have a heavenly passport. And no party is going to keep me out of heaven. Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace. So in your Bible, the, the H should be capitalized, which would be Jesus, and has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Paul's addressing Jew and Gentile. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Notice the triunity of the Godhead. You will not find the word Trinity in your Bible. You will also not find the word Jehovah in your Bible. Now you might see it in your Bible, but it's not. It's YHVH or YHWH or JHVH. Uh, the Jews did not put the vowels in there. We inserted them. So we don't know God's official name, even though we may say Yahweh or Jehovah. Now therefore, so I just say that's when the Jehovah Witness comes and knocks on your door and says, ah, see, your Bible's wrong, Trinity's not in the word. Just say back to him, you know what? Either is Jehovah, so you're not a witness. Now you want to learn who Jesus is? Come on, wake up. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Notice that with those who are alive and members of the household of God, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, the church, there's only one church, one C. We have different names on various churches because we have different thoughts, different views of the scriptures, but that's not division, that's just separation. There still is only one C, brothers and sisters in Christ in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The triunity of the Godhead there in those verses. You see, we've been set apart by God for the work of his kingdom. But we have this thing called the flesh as the music team comes up. Those desires that are not of God and if followed actually pull us back into the world that have been separated from. As we read in this letter, we're going to find that this group of people, the church at Corinth, that they gave the enemy ammunition to beat them up with. Guys, we're wrapping it up, but this is very, very important. Don't give the enemy ammunition to beat you up with. Be careful what sites you're visiting. Because when you visit, after you visit those sites, what comes into you? Guilt. Condemnation. I'm not worthy. I've done it again. That's of Satan. Guilt is of Satan. Conviction is of the Lord. Because conviction will bring us to repentance, which will bring us back to restoration. Guilt and condemnation pulls us away. 
Don't give the enemy ammunition. Due to their selfish lifestyle, which brought about sinful actions. We know that the spiritual enemy of our soul doesn't take a holiday. And we also know from Revelation 12.10 that he's accusing us before our God day and night of our past mistakes, sins, and spiritual failings. But the Holy Spirit, we'll wrap it up with this, but the Holy Spirit never accuses us, but convicts us about which will bring us repentance and draws us into a more intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Guys, that's what it's all about. So as we study Corinthians, let's learn, let's evaluate our own lives. We can always check out everybody else and find fault with everybody else. Let's just check out our own lives, ask for forgiveness, receive repentance, and ask for forgiveness. Father, we thank you for the morning. A lot of information. But it's important to know this, these things, because uh, we're not far removed, are we, Father? The church still has problems today in it. And the church is bringing the culture in and saying, well, we need to be like this so that they, we can love them, so that they'll, maybe we'll win them over through accepting their lifestyle, through accepting their sin. Maybe we'll win them over. Father, we don't see that in the scriptures. Matter of fact, the scriptures say, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but reprove them and expose them to the word of God. So Father, we pray for a spiritual hedge of protection around our church, around our families, around our lives individually, that we would not allow the enemy to come in and occupy. We know we cannot be demon-possessed, but we can be oppressed. We can allow influences into our lives to oppress us. So, Father, guard us. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and give us discernment. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. I know that was a long study. You did it. You succeeded. You're through it. Now remember it as we continue to read over Corinthians. God bless you guys. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.